Hello, everyone. This episode is about suffering. Dr. Bethany and her friend, Amber, talk about helping families and children deal with suffering. I recorded this episode before the events happened in Ukraine. All of us at Raising Christian Kids have been praying for the families both in Ukraine and Russia. May God hear their cries and answer their prayers. Welcome to the Raising Christian Kids podcast. Your host, Leanne Mancini, is extremely passionate about helping children to have a strong foundation in Jesus. You will be equipped with methods and techniques to help solidify a relationship between your child and Jesus. So let's dig deep and raise strong Christian kids. Hello and welcome back to Raising Christian Kids. I'm happy to have two special guests on today. I am so glad to have Bethany Soloretter, a research fellow who specializes in theology concerning evolution and the problem of suffering. She is currently working on the theological aspects of our changing climate. Bethany received her PhD in theology from the University of Exeter and an MCS in interdisciplinary studies from Regent College, Vancouver. She is also the author of the engaging book titled, Why Is There Suffering? And that's the book we're going to talk about today. And our other wonderful guest here is Amber Saladin, mother of two, an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old. And apparently she has helped Bethany understand everything about whatever she needs to know about parenting. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Bethany, I love your book. Why is there suffering? You know, that's a really great question that everybody struggles with at time. Why, why, Lord, if you're such a good, gracious God, why do we have suffering? What is the purpose of suffering? And so on page 34, can you please explain how often we suffer because two things collide in a way that ends up being bad? I thought that was a great concept. And part of that second question is, and how does this tie in with Nothing is wasted in God's economy regarding that suffering that was on page 78 of your book. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So I I wrote this book that really has a variety of ways of thinking about why we suffer. And not all of them necessarily say the same thing or are, are even compatible. So I really wanted people to think through what makes sense to them in light of both their theology and the sort of experiences they bring to the table. So in in the first chapter you asked about, page 34, I'm actually writing about the views of St. Thomas Aquinas. So he's a medieval Dominican friar who's often thought to be sort of the best theologian who ever lived. And he talks about how since God created everything good, nothing God created can be evil in itself. Rather, he talks about a lot of the pain we suffer comes from the collision of various goods. So I I use the example of having sort of too many good chilies on a good pizza. Each in its own right is good, but the combination can be extremely bad when combined in a human gut. Uh, Or if you have two musicians who are playing different songs in the same space, each musician can be playing well, but the, the combination might be painful. You know, we've, we, we're in the midst of a global pandemic here and, and viruses on their own aren't evil. There are tons around us all the time that do no harm. 
they're just another creature of God, but the right virus combined with the wrong human immune system, and you have this recipe for extreme suffering. And in Aquinas's system, people are very much the same. So people can make evil decisions, but even those are often just a a confusion of, of things that in their right time or right place or right amount would be good. So people want pleasure, but they want it in the wrong way or with the wrong timing. People want security, but they try and find it through accumulating wealth rather than trusting in God, for example. The second part you asked about the sort of nothing is wasted in God's economy is is a slightly different way of thinking about evil. So instead of saying there's nothing that is evil in itself like Aquinas does, that view would say something more like, well, really evil things do happen, whether from human free will or Satan's interference. Things that God doesn't want happens. But they say that God can take something really evil and find redemption for it. So God, to use a silly example, God takes the lemons of life and makes lemonade, combining our sour and our sweet experiences until they come out all right in the end. And it it may be that that recipe isn't actually complete even until after we die in, in the new creation. But someday, somehow, each person will be able to look at their suffering and see how God transformed it into something good, into something that after the fact, they can be grateful for. I just love that because, you know, we don't look at suffering through the lens of God, the purpose of God for suffering. We always look at our human suffering through our lens and how we see the bad pitfalls of suffering. But I like, you know, when you said two good things, it's like, for example, a mother's desire, and I'm sure, Amber, you could address this, a mother's desire to give her child his heart's desire, and maybe you gave him a little bit too much ice cream that night, <laughs> and two two things caused a little bellyache, right? Yes, absolutely. As parents, we have to think about how much are we sharing with our children about suffering, and how much suffering do we allow them to experience, and at what age? And that's uh, a trick, isn't it, in our parenting, is do you always give your two-year-old what they want? Well, no. But how much suffering do you allow and how much suffering can you skirt them around? So that's that's an eternal question for me. Yes. And I think children need to experience a little suffering early in life, too, because it prepares them for later on. And sometimes that suffering is just a natural consequence of their bad behavior. Right. Bethany, can you share the story of St. Francis of Assisi and how we can use his story to help children understand the blessings of suffering? Yeah. Well, I mean, St. Francis is easy to talk about because he's one of my absolute great heroes. He was just this lover of poverty and simplicity. And so, you know, the stories talk about him wandering along the highways and the byways of medieval Italy, preaching the gospel to everyone from peasants to lords. And he gave up his rich inheritance. He was was born uh, the son of a wealthy merchant. And he gave it all away. And, you know, someone pointed out to him that even the clothes he was wearing belonged to his father. So he quite joyfully took them out and walked out of town naked to to go serve Jesus and, and, you know, to rebuild the the church, both, both physically and spiritually. And, I mean, I think that there's so much that we can see in his life about how 
hardships that he endured, you know, when he didn't have enough food, he just sort of thought, well, this is a great opportunity to fast, you know. And so his attitude brought a different experience of suffering. He never saw himself as the victim of suffering, but as the one who was cooperating with Christ to, to change first his own soul and, and then the world around him. And I think in that chapter, what I'm, what I'm talking about is about how Francis changed the world, not by forcing other people to change, but by living such an attractive lifestyle that people wanted to follow. And he ended up starting one of the biggest Christian reform movements that's ever happened, where people voluntarily shared, voluntarily gave up their wealth, voluntarily served the poor and the lepers and those who were most despised in their own culture. And I think that that is a lot how, like how God works, that God is so beautiful that people are attracted to God and so change their lives. So God doesn't work by forcing people to change or striking them down with lightning bolts, but rather God shows people a different way to live that really inspires the best from them. Yeah. You know, he literally took the verse, give up everything and follow me, even the clothes on his back. And, mm-hmm. and, and wouldn't, wouldn't you say, Amber, that that's a, a, probably a good story for children to know about how this gentleman had everything and he, he gave it all up to follow the Lord and he loves animals yes. and he, he's got a lot of yes. other great qualities, right? Yes, absolutely. I was thinking about how do I introduce my children to suffering? And we live in Manhattan in New York City. And one of the things that we see all the time is people who don't have enough homeless people on the train or on the streets. So my children are often confronted with people for whom we need to give up some of the things that we have in order to serve them. It's hard because there's so much suffering that it's difficult to then decide, well, who do I help and who do I not help? And what do I have today? And what do I not have today? But I am grateful for the fact that they do see that the Lord provides for us every day and that we can share out of that abundance with others. Yeah, I think that's great. Children need to see that. They need to see suffering and they need to see how what little bit we do as Christians, if everybody did a little bit of something, that would be a whole lot of everything, really. It would change the world. Bethany, please tell us the story and the lesson of the old farmer from page 88. Ah, this is a good story. I love, I love, I love the pieces you, you picked out. So this, this is actually a story that comes from China from the second century BC. And it's a common part of sort of ancient Eastern wisdom traditions. And, and the story is this, that there, there once was an old man and, and his son, and they, they owned a horse, a single horse that they relied on for their livelihood. And one day, it ran away, it ran into the forest. And the next day, all the sort of villagers around them trotted out and said to, to the old man, to the old farmer, oh no, this, this is the worst thing that could have happened to you. But the old farmer quietly answered, it's too early to tell. And so the next day, the horse actually returns with five other horses that it, that it made friends with in, in the forest. And so all the villagers once again crowd around and say, oh, we were wrong. We were wrong. Actually, the horse running away was the best thing. And all these horses coming back was the best thing that could have happened to you. And the farmer just says, well, again, it's too early to tell. 
And so the next week, the son is trying to train one of these new horses and he, he falls off and he terribly breaks his leg. He'll never walk again. And all the villagers around again stream out, oh, you were right, you were right. This is the worst thing that could have happened to you. This, this has all been a curse. And, and the farmer just says, well, it, it's too early. And finally, the next year, their, their country goes to war. And the army comes through and takes all the other sons off to war. But the son with the broken leg is, is left behind. And none of the other sons ever return from the battle. And, and that, that's the point where the story ends. But I mean, the idea is that with each new event, the interpretation of some earlier event can change dramatically. What seems like a blessing can become a curse, can become a blessing. You know, and I think that one of the ways that God is working is to change the meaning of events in that way, that God is working together to make all things new, to make all things good, to make all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so I think that it's an illustration of how the meaning of an event isn't fixed at the time that it happens, but God can work to change that meaning. Yeah, I just love that because we, you know, we only see the, I always say we see the parade coming, going in front of us and the ending of the parade, but we don't see the whole parade like God does. And so we don't know, you know, what his plans are, his purposes are as far as the purpose in suffering. But then later on we say, oh, you know what? Like Joseph said, hey, you know, you, you planned something evil for me, but God planned it to be good. And so I love that story. I think that that's a great story to, to tell kids because that'll really reel them in to understand that. And Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for a hope and a future. Well, people think that's right here on earth. And in some ways it is, but that verse really, the hope is things we don't see. Can I, can I come in here? Absolutely. Just as a scholar? So what I, what I love about Jeremiah 29, 11 is that said to the people of Israel right before the exile, Yes. So this is right before armies come in, destroy their homeland, take them away for 70 years before before they get, you know, and, and so on faith, at face value, you think this is impossible. How could God's good plans ever include this? This is so important. You know, if we can get our children to fix their eyes on Christ and the hope that they have in him, and not what they see with their eyes here in the world, because there's so much suffering, and it's going to get so much worse, and prepare them when they're young to, to build that strong foundation. But ladies, thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And this is how we're going to work together to raise strong Christian kids. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. <laughs>